0: There are people who are afraid
1: of the press.
0: Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses?
1: I've heard the
2: bifocal
0: but not multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode.
2: MacU Health with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology.
0: Good morning. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, and welcome to Open Your Eyes Radio. Please listen as we discuss the newest information in the world of health, nutrition, and sports every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time on AM 1280 The Patriot. And also, please share your thoughts by emailing me at drkerrygelb at gmail.com. That's dr k-e-r-r-y-g-e-l-b at gmail.com we're back with our special guest optometric physician dr steve rosinski he's a contact lens expert he works with cooper vision he's a globe cooper vision is a global global leader in contact lenses in 2019 he became a senior manager a professional and academic affairs. He teaches physicians. He consults on newest contact lens designs. He's an avid athlete. Uh, he's earned his USA triathlon uh, elite pro license in 2011, where he's been racing pro for the last 12 years. He's a good friend and a really nice guy. And he's here to share insight on contact lenses to get inside the industry a little bit, you know, to get deep into the industry because As we talked about last week, in my opinion, and I think opinion of people who wear contact lenses, contact lenses is really an unsung hero, a miracle of medicine, something that is really taken for granted that you could take this little piece, this little clear plastic disc made up of partly of water and see amazing, be comfortable. Most of the day in the old days, contact lenses would get dry and you wouldn't be able to see out of it. It, I remember pa- older patients would come to me and they before there were soft contact they used to have to wear hard contact lenses and they would tough it out because they didn't want to wear glasses because back then there weren't fashionable frames, they just had that, that, that black frame and they hated the way it looked, but now contact lenses have come a long way and we have single use contact lenses, which I feel are the best contact lenses. And the safest contact lenses, and the best way to wear contact lenses, but they are a little bit more expensive, and not everybody could wear because of course single-use contact lenses. But if it's something that you can afford, it's much safer than a two-week or one-month contact lenses. And there was a there was a study that done it was actually funded by Cooper Vision that proved that. And it was probably five times safer than a uh, soft contact lens. But, you know, some people still have to wear two-week or monthly contact lenses. But all the major manufacturers make daily contact lenses. Steve, a comment about uh, single-use or daily contact lenses.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, when we look at the opportunity um, for your overall best contact lens wearing experience, um, that is going to be a, a daily disposable contact lens. In this day and age, um, when convenience is king, uh, I I do know that uh, one of the biggest reasons that patients are transitioning not only from a health perspective, a comfort perspective, uh, but a convenience perspective uh, with transitioning over to a contact lens that you put a fresh lens in each and every single day. And I'll tell you, every single time uh, that I've introduced a daily disposable contact lens to a patient, um, they are intrigued. Uh, They might not have heard about it, um, but they are definitely intrigued because they all know how good it feels uh, from a comfort perspective to put that fresh lens in when they are uh, maybe a monthly wear at the end of that month or a two-week wear at the end of those two weeks. Um, So having that fresh lens feel each and every single day, um, that is definitely something that patients are excited about. Um, And I tell you, my first pair of uh, daily disposable contact lenses uh, came when I was in optometry school. And I couldn't believe it. It was life-changing. And so for me, as an optometrist, I always like to really be able to um, showcase the newest technologies and really be able to highlight the the benefits of wearing a daily disposable.
0: You know, in this segment, we're going to talk about myopia, which is nearsightedness. You can see near, but you can't see far. Uh, And nearsightedness has has exploded. In 1900, there was about 3% of the U.S. population was nearsighted. Now it's about 45%. And, and by 2050, it could be as high as 60%. Soon, about half the population could be nearsighted. And we could treat nearsightedness or myopia. First, before we get into the treatment of nearsighted, because we're going to talk a lot about that, because a lot of people listening to this have children or grandchildren, and they want to know how they could prevent their kids from wearing glasses or needing very, very strong glasses and prevent their prescription from getting worse. First. Steve, what is myopia or nearsightedness?
1: Yes, so you know, Carrie, this personally hits home, right? I am a a minus nine myope, which means I'm I'm considered the high category of high myopia, Uh, and you know, also I have I have three little kids, right? I have a six year old, a four year old, and a two year old, and so when I look at hopefully having my children have better eyes. We always want what's better for our children, right? I want to have better vision, better health outcomes, better success than what I have as a parent. Uh, And when I look at myopia, um, it really hits home um, because myopia in itself is where the eye is growing longer than it should be. Uh, Especially when we look at uh, kids developing myopia, a lot of times as they are growing, the eye is becoming longer um, it is becoming weaker, and it's growing faster than it should. Um, prior to my, you know, becoming an optometrist, um, realistically, I just knew as, as I continued to grow, um, that my vision for myself continued to get worse. And I became best friends with my optometrist, uh, because I was having to go back maybe on a three or six month interval. Um, but we really couldn't do anything about it at that point. Um, It was just getting a stronger glasses prescription, a stronger contact lens prescription, and hoping it didn't change too much in the subsequent months. Um, But ultimately, though, um, it is so nice knowing um, that, you know, as a parent, and I imagine that there are many individuals out there that believe the same thing, that they went through the same um, steps that I did. It was, you know, we just... Got stronger glasses. Well, when it comes with stronger glasses, that's actually not a good thing. Um, higher myopia isn't a good thing. Um, we talk about being stronger as athletes. Well, we don't want stronger prescriptions. Um, we want to minimize that prescription. We want to try to do everything we can to prevent that eye from getting longer than it should be. But in simple terms, myopia is an eye that's longer than it should be. And when we have uh, a growing um, epidemic, I would like to say, of patients that are are becoming more myopic, um, more quickly. And, you know, Carrie like to point out that you said, you know, that stat of over 50% of, uh, individuals throughout the world will be myopic by 2050. Um, what's even crazier is the number of individuals that are going to be considered highly myopic. Um, that's considered like the technical definition is minus six or, or higher. Um, but th- that number of individuals could be upwards of 1 billion, um, by 2050,
0: you know, and as eye doctors for many years, you know there was nearsighted, there was farsighted. There's astigmatism. There's presbyopia, not be able to see up close. And we never really thought much about myopia. You know, my, you, you, you're nearsighted. You come back the next year, you're more nearsighted. You come back the next year, you're more nearsighted. But now there's something that we could do about it. Now, would you consider myopia? Brian Holden said it's a public health issue. But would you consider myopia now a disease?
1: Well, when we look at myopia in general, um, diseases um, can, you know, when we really think about it, it could be something that causes something to get worse, right? And, you know, when I look at myopia across the board, um, I'm seeing that individuals' eyes are getting longer. Their tissue of their eye is actually getting weaker as well. Um, So it depends on who you look at. Some would say it's disease, some wouldn't. Um, But I think in more optometrists' mind and more eye care physicians' mind now than ever before, they're looking at it as more of a disease than not, Um, especially as we continue to see uh, the prevalence um, continue to to increase.
0: And now that we could do something about it. So, I mean, why do you think back in 1900, 3% of the population was myopic? and now over 40% is myopic?
1: Well, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I I look at genetics, um, genetics as well. If uh, an individual um, is myopic and they have a child with another individual that's myopic, the risk of that child um, that they have increases that likelihood of that that child being myopic. Um, That's one. Um, Two, I think about how we are spending less time outdoors. Um, outdoor time really does matter um, when it comes with um, helping prevent myopia from getting worse Um, and we also look at a lot at uh, up close objects at at digital devices as well Um, so when we look across the board of uh, the overall environment so there's genetics but then there's also our lifestyles and our environment are different than they were uh, a number of years ago Um, and that really is helping really speed up um, the rate at which individuals are becoming myopic.
0: If you could continue on that and maybe repeat a little bit for the people who have just joined us, this is so important. Why are we becoming nearsighted? Where back in 1900, only 3% were nearsighted. Now, o- over 40% are nearsighted. Why is that happening?
1: No, this is a really important topic uh, to myself, as well as uh, I imagine a number of individuals, um, you know, either listening to this call because they they as well experience myopia, um, or maybe they have children um, that are having that have myopia as well. Uh, but ultimately we look at it from a combination of factors of, of our genetics, um, but also our environment and our lifestyles that, that we live in. Um, when we really look at screen time, uh, probably one of the biggest questions I, I get asked uh, when talking with, with parents of, of children that are in my chair. Um, is looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, how, how often should my children, you know, how long can they really be looking at devices online uh, or devices, iPads, cell phones, watching TV, um, and, you know, all of that lifestyle, all the staying indoors, uh, staring at digital devices more at a closer distance, that all adds up um, to increased risks of patients developing myopia. Um, when we look at it for, for screen time, um, you know, what we, we uh, are, are figuring out is that there are certain, like, growth signals in the eye that can promote uh, myopia and nearsightedness progression. Um, we know that, um, you know, that when it comes with education, individuals are on tablets and computers, and we are using them more than ever before, um, but we recommend um, that we actually not hold screens as too close, um, back a little bit, um, and as well as taking breaks. Uh, I think that's very important, the, the aspects of taking breaks, um, to really be able to give your eyes the ability to, to relax. And, you know, so for every hour of new work, um, taking a, a five, 10-minute break um, really is is really beneficial for, for that child. Um, and, and honestly, for, for us as well, um, you know, I would say, Carrie, and it's getting outdoors. Um, spending time outdoors has been shown to be really uh, beneficial as well. So, um, you know, Trying not to hold things as close, um, not uh, staring at a device for long periods of time without taking breaks, and then getting, getting outside is going to be of, of benefit.
0: When I was a kid, my mother used to yell at us to come inside from playing outside. Now the parents are yelling at kids to go outside and play, you know, because the studies are clear, you know, uh, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not outside, you have a much greater risk of getting nearsighted
1: yeah and when we look at that it's uh really the goal would be two hours a day of outdoor time carry. I know it's harder uh in certain areas of the of the world in certain areas of the United States than others um but the goal would be two hours a day if you can get your get your kids outside. I know personally I like to get my kids outside um uh, you know at, at all hours of the day um but just to really be able to let them burn off some steam um not only for uh the the lowering risk of hopefully myopia as well
0: you know. Myopia comes with side effects, high myopia. If you could address some of those side effects.
1: Yeah. So when we really look at myopia, um, not only is it a a visual issue um, that the individual that has myopia uh, isn't able to see as clearly off in the distance, um, but it also increases risk of certain ocular conditions, um, especially as we continue to get older, um, as that eye as someone who has myopia, their eye is getting longer than it should be. Um, It's getting thinner than it should be or weaker than it should be. Um, That puts us at risk for certain disorders. I'm sure many of you have heard of cataracts before. Well, there's an increased risk of cataracts the more myopic someone is. Um, Many of you have probably heard of glaucoma before. Glaucoma in itself um, is a disease that has a higher risk Um, of developing when someone is myopic uh, and macular maculopathy or essentially uh, an issue with a disease associated with the retina or like your central vision um, that allows you to see as clearly as possible. Um, So it's not just uh, a visual issue. Um, We like to think about it as if if we can try to make sure that eye isn't continuing to grow longer, continuing to grow weaker, um, that we can also help um, later on down the the down the line with someone who um, hopefully we can prevent them or not prevent but slow down um, their risks and decrease the risk of developing glaucoma mac generation cataracts as well
0: so just to give the viewer a little bit uh, of a perspective uh so uh retinal detachment it, it, the greater the, 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 the longer the eyeball, the greater the risk of retinal detachment. We want to try to prevent that. If you could tell us what a retinal detachment is and what kind of tests a doctor needs to look for, do, to see if somebody's at risk for a retinal tear or a retinal detachment. Uh, and unfortunately, that has to be an in-office test. That's not something that can be done by telemedicine.
1: So essentially, the back portion of your eye um, has a layer called the retina. Um, Without the retina, we wouldn't be able to see. And that retina um, in individuals that have higher, that are highly myopic, they are at more risk for this retina to actually detach from the rest of the portion of the eye. Uh, And what we see with that, though, are, um, you know, when we look at the different risk factors, and what we are looking for as doctors, um, individuals um, that have those thinner areas of the eye due to myopia, they actually are at higher risk for this retinal detachment. And um, when we are looking at the eye in an exam, um, many times individuals get dilated. So we are dilating your eyes uh, to be able to view into your eye, into your pupil, or essentially the black portion of your eye, able, able to get a better view of the whole entire eye. Um, So that we can assess to make sure there aren't any thin spots in your retina. If we see thin spots, um, that individual is more at risk uh, for retinal detachment than those um, that don't. Doesn't mean they're off. They're off. uh, They're not going to have a retinal detachment. They're just at at a lower risk if we don't have those thin spots. Um, But we are looking to assess to making sure that those individuals don't have those thin spots. You know, Carrie. Even I remember a few years back. Uh, I had a a patient that was a young female, Um, she had no symptoms of anything, and I just did my yearly annual dilated exam on her, and I noted that she actually had the early stages of a retinal break or a retinal thinning spot, Um, and we were fortunate enough to catch it early enough that it actually didn't lead into uh, a retinal detachment, Um, and I'm sure you've seen that in your career as well, Um, but for your patients as symptoms, what are you looking for? Um, you know, I, I would highly encourage you if you're sitting all of a sudden see a sudden onset of a lot of what are called floaters or little black spots in your eyes um, that really aren't gnats off, off on the side, but essentially, uh, you know, in your eye, you're noticing these floaters that are sudden onset. Um, that's one uh, definitely big symptom that you want to go and talk to your eye physician. Um, also, flashes of light. Um, if you have flashes of light off to the side Um, that is another um, symptom of a retinal detachment. Uh, And then also, if you feel like you're losing some of your your vision, some of your peripheral vision, um, then that is definitely another symptom um, that is of a retinal detachment. Um, and as eye care providers, yes, we are assessing your visual, um, you know, the your visual system. But we're also assessing, making sure that the health. It's not just all about the glasses, all about the contact lenses. But we are looking to make sure that you don't have any of these signs that we are seeing that could lead to this retinal detachment. And retinal detachments, um, they, um, when when I think about it as an eye care provider, um, they um, can be complex. Um, many times, patients can have permanent vision loss. Uh, Fortunately, if caught in the earlier stages, we can have better outcomes, Um, but the goal is is to not have that retinal retinal tear, retinal detachment in the first place. And if we can try to decrease those risks, like with um, slowing down myopia progression, then that would only benefit from overall public health, hopefully not as many individuals will have retinal tears, retinal detachments later on in life as well.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned uh, cataracts and glaucoma, and many patients mix those two up. With cataracts, I did a great podcast with Dr. Jeff Levinson. Go look at that uh, past podcast, that past show, and for glaucoma, I did a show with uh, Jeffrey Goldberg out of Stanford, and that's on the podcast so that you could find that on YouTube or any of your, the podcast channels. Uh, so, just briefly, if you could tell us about what a cataract is and what glaucoma is, and what's the difference?
1: Yeah, so quick uh, quickly, is the cataract is actually has to deal with the lens more like towards the front portion of the eye. Um, we all have a lens that allows us. Um, our eyes to focus up close when we're younger, um, also allows you to focus light so that we can hopefully help see clearly in the back of our eyes. As we get older with various factors, maybe, maybe uh, excess UV, um, being out in the sun for a while, um, certain medications can increase your risk of cataracts. Um, and when we look at it as well as uh, there are certain, um, certain lifestyle habits, such as, as smoking, increase risk of cataracts. Um, cataracts essentially is a cloudiness of that lens. Essentially, you're looking through a cloudy window. Uh, It's not as clear anymore as it was when you were younger. Um, So essentially, a cataract is a cloudiness of that lens. And individuals, patients have cataract surgery when we actually take out that cloudy window, and we're able to put a nice clear lens back in. um, And that's traditionally part of cataract surgery. Um, When we look at glaucoma, glaucoma is is actually a disease of the optic nerve head. The optic nerve head actually attaches the eye um, to the brain, essentially, in our our bodies. And that tissue dying off of that optic nerve head is essentially glaucoma. Um, You know, sometimes patients correlate having higher pressure inside the eye with glaucoma, but that is actually just one item that we look at as optometrists, of uh, looking at pressure as one indicator of glaucoma. Um, some individuals that I have have high pressure and don't have glaucoma, and some individuals have low pressure and don't have glaucoma. But a glaucoma affects essentially the, the tissue surrounding your optic nerve head.
0: We're talking with Dr. Steve Rosinski, optometric physician. Uh, he's He's our guest. And after the break, we're going to talk about what you could do to prevent myopia from getting worse.
2: MacuHealth, Health, your science born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science.
0: We're back with Dr. Steve Rosinski, optometrist from Northern Virginia, Leesburg, Virginia. And uh, he's an optometrist, he's an optometric physician. We're talking about eyes, we're talking about contact lenses and we're talking about myopia the epidemic of myopia myopia was 3% of the population in 1900 now it's 42% soon to be 50% 50 soon to be 50% of the world what are we doing uh, with all these digital devices and not going outside and becoming more nearsighted but there are things that we could do as doctors and as patients to lower our risk of becoming myopic and that's what we're going to talk about and, and the rest of the show here. So, Dr. Rosinski, first of, first off, who's at risk for getting myopia?
1: When we look at development of myopia, um, you know, I, I would say uh, looking at our children, right? Our children are, uh, you know, are the future, uh, are our future. And, you know, we have set them up uh, as hopefully as parents to have the most successful lives possible. We always want better for our children. Um, but when we look at the children of today, they are more at risk for myopia than ever before. Uh, and when we look at um, the importance of trying to assess if a child has myopia, it's the importance of really being able to have that child have an annual eye exam. Um, you know, and you know, when I, I was in, in really diving into the, the pediatric space, Um, We really even assess children as young as six months old as a part of infancy exams. Um, So I know there are certain state regulations that have, um, where a child has to have an eye exam before entering kindergarten, Um, but it's essentially, you know, looking at that that child and really being able to, with care, being able to see what risk factors these children have and can we catch any signs or symptoms of any diseases such as myopia early on. And so I think that's really, really, really where the key is here is, Carrie, is, um, you know, is having uh, our our listeners here, um, if if they have a child, if they have grandchildren, uh, the importance of going to see an optometric physician, going to see an eye care provider um, for uh, for an annual eye exam um, to assess that health of that individual, assess the refractive error of that individual, Uh, because when we really look at uh, at learning, um, there are a number of of difficulties that children have uh, due to vision, Uh, and when we look at that, whether it is a vergence issue or like a muscle imbalance issue, whether it's a focusing issue um, or whether it is a refractive error, uh, there are many issues that can arise um, due to to myopia as well, and that's really where it's important for us to intervene as eye care providers on the earlier stages, or maybe even what's called pre-myopia, where someone has a a prescription that's going to possibly lead to a higher risk factor of myopia later on as well. So um, I always like to say, like, to intervene as early as possible, and in order to do that is to really be able to uh, give an eye exam to that child uh, starting at a really young age.
0: And before we talked about screen time and the American Academy of Pediatrics, less than 18 months recommends no screen time from 18 months to two years, maybe limited, very limited use, two to five, one hour maximum, but you know, you got to get outside. And over six years old, you know, they recommend that you really need to place limits. because this, this has been linked with myopia. So what are the traditional ways that we treated myopia? How did we do that?
1: Yeah, so essentially, it was giving a pair of glasses, single vision glasses, giving um single vision contact lenses uh and it really wasn't doing much except helping the child at that current stage it wasn't doing anything to prevent that individual's prescription uh, from getting worse or their eyeball from getting longer um, because as we've mentioned before myopia is where someone has a longer eye and we don't want that to happen however single vision glasses single vision contact lenses uh, have been shown to that that really doesn't do anything except help that individual see it has no treatment effect uh, to slow down that rate of progression.
0: So what can we do now to slow down the rate of progression? What are the different categories of things that can be done?
1: Yeah, so I like, like to break it down into a few different aspects. Um, So when we look at it from uh, behavioral changes that we can do, um, behavioral um, to try to decrease that risk of progression is getting outside, as I had mentioned uh, previously, is getting outside for two hours or more if you're able to. Um, The research really strongly points to children getting outside is going to really help uh, in decreasing that risk of of progression. Um, Also, trying to take breaks. From a behavioral standpoint, taking breaks and not staring so closely at, at up close devices, um, being able to push back um, the, the near point and be able to maybe not look at, at the digital device or reading material as closely as possible. And taking breaks, you know, every every hour taking a five to 10 minute break. Um, when we look at outside of behavioral changes, so getting outside and changing like the working distance. Um, we're looking at different um, aspects, whether it be contact lenses, different, med- different uh, medications um, that have been uh, shown to be of benefit in helping decrease that risk of progression. When we look at contact lenses across the board, there are two categories of contact lenses. Um, there are soft contact lenses. And then there are also what are called um, orthokeratology contact lenses. Um, These orthokeratology contact lenses are actually um, GP contact lenses that are shaped differently that actually um, you actually sleep in at night with, which is a little different than most people think about. Um, But I know, Dr. Geld, that you are, uh, you've been a proponent of orthokeratology for years, uh, ever since uh, they became FDA approved uh, back in 2002. Um, But essentially, this is a one avenue of the contact lens realm in that um, the cornea or the front surface of the eye is reshaped at night, um, not only helping the individual see, um, but also helping with uh, decrease the risk of progression of that that child while while wearing the contact lenses um, at night. And then they can see clearly throughout the day. Um, So it's having both that treatment effect um, and also being able to help that child see. Um, when we look at it from, and we can dive more into that ortho case space, uh, if you like here, Dr. Gell, but you know, Let's also think about-
0: Let me just interrupt, I'm sorry, real quick. You said GP contact lens. I don't think the audience knows what GP means.
1: Yeah, no, great. I'm glad you mentioned that. So gas permeable, it's essentially when we can break that down, there are Hard contact lenses and there are soft contact lenses, and essentially a GP is going to be your hard type of contact lenses. Doesn't mean they're they're hard and they're going to hurt your eyes by any means, uh, by any means. Um, but it is just a different material of, of contact lenses that that we use, and traditionally, um, it's a GP material that is being leveraged within orthokeratology essentially leveraging this contact lens to fit on your eye uh, and reshape the front surface of the eye while that individual is sleeping um, to have the desired outcomes that we had just talked about.
0: You know, when when you, we look at LASIK versus ortho-K, uh, LASIK, we're removing tissue. With ortho-K, with the gas permeable contact lenses, we're moving tissue off to the side. It's like a mold. The front of the eye is like silly putty. And we're taking instead of removing the tissue, we're pushing the tissue off to the side in this like groove and the tissue goes into the groove. And, and by doing that, it makes the, the front of the eye thinner and it changes where how the eye is able to refract the light. And it's able to, depending on how much tissue you move or how much tissue you remove, you're able to put the light back on the eye so somebody could see. If you could explain that a little bit. More.
1: Yes, essentially um, when we re- really look at that front surface of the eye, we're talking super thin tissue here. We're talking about 70 microns of tissue that we are um that we are really adjusting here. And by having that soft that excuse me that orthokeratology lens go on top of that cornea, just like Dr. Gelb says, it's just essentially uh shifting the tissue and allowing um the lens to alter the shape. Uh, And what's unique about this is that um, essentially if a child wears a contact lens overnight, depending on the prescription, um, because orthokeratology only does work for certain prescriptions, it's FDA approved um, for a certain amount of myopia, up to a minus six, uh, and then also a certain amount of astigmatism. If we're going to put a number on that as well, it's up to minus 1.75 diopters. Um, but essentially, it's been shown through FDA approval, which I think is, you know is, is critical as FDA approval approved since 2002, um, that this is a safe to wear overnight. Um, and essentially, by having this contact lens on the eye, it reshapes the front surface of that cornea, that 70 micron tissue of epithelium. Um, to really be able to allow the individual to see clearly. Um, but also uh, it has been shown um, to have a mechanism of actually slowing down the axial length or the, long, the length of the eye itself.
0: You know, I'm hoping that someday you're going to be able to put this, this gas permeable contact lens on the eye. You're going to set the prescription basically back to zero and then there'll, there'll be a drop almost like a glue that you'll put in the eye, but not glue, of course. You don't want to put glue in your eye, but a drop that will be able to hold it so you won't have to wear the contact lens every day, but maybe once a week to reset it. Has anyone ever talked about something like that, or am I in uh, am I in dreamland?
1: Well, to, to tell your, more of your listeners, essentially, this lens has to traditionally, this orthokeratology lens has to be either worn nightly or in some prescriptions every other night. Um, and essentially, there can be, it kind of the, the technology wears off towards the end of the day at times. And depending on prescriptions, you have, to, like I said, wear it at night or, or wear it every other night. Um, so, not that I've heard Dr. Gil of, of this technology. Um, I can see how, from a compliance standpoint, that would be amazing um, to not have to worry about wearing a contact lens as much. Uh, but I can say that there are um, a number of individuals here in the United States and worldwide um, that have had such success. Um, leveraging this, um, especially um, not only to help see it clearly, but also to help uh, prevent their eyes from getting longer.
0: You know, I, I brought that up to one of the cross-linking people. And of course, cross-linking deals with the stroma, not the epithelium, which is a different part of the eye, but maybe someday, you know, we're talking about the different treatments. We were talking about using a gas permeable lens, which is a harder type lens that the kids sleep in to prevent them from getting nearsighted. You know, studies show up to around 60, 70%. You could lower the risk. I've been doing this in my office for many, many years. And I could say that it's, it's very good. It works very good. It decreases the progression at least by 70%, at least in in my hands. I've had very good luck with orthokeratology. CRT is one of the brands that I use and have very good luck. And uh, Dr. Steve, I really appreciate you sharing that. And it's about moving the tissue rather than taking away the tissue because the front of the eye has 70 microns, it's called the epithelium of the cornea. The cornea, basically for years, we said it had five layers. Now they may be uh, discovered a six layer, but for all intents and purposes, say five layers and that front layer is 70 microns. So for every uh, 10 microns, or 13 microns, we move, we change the eye about a unit, or we call diopters. But let's move on to the next thing. Now there are approved soft contact lens, something called MySight, and your company that you work for, Cooper Vision, did the technology, they did the research. Uh, you know, not that it's a conflict of interest, everybody knows about My MySight, but, you know, for in my hands, it decreases, and the studies show about 60%, decreasing the risk of uh, progression but tell us about this special soft contact lens how it works and why it works and does it and it's really it's really something that now in 2000 in the in the year where we are 2023 that we have this type of technology that could help these kids and lower the risk of getting nearsighted.
1: Yeah, no, it's truly remarkable, um, carry of the options as optometrists and eye care physicians that we have to really make a difference in the lives of so many children out there. Um, when we look at the various you know, aspects of, of myopia control, really um, looking at my site, my site truly is, uh, it's an easy, fit, easy to fit single use contact lens. Um, and it is the first and only soft contact lens designed for myopia control and it's FDA approved. Uh, to slow the progression of myopia in age-appropriate children. Um, I remember uh, back in 2019, uh, fall 2019, um, when we got FDA approval, um, you know how, how monumental of a day it was to have FDA approval of this product, uh, because we know what that seal of approval really means for, for patients, for parents, uh, and, and its importance as well. Um, I was actually out on a bike ride, knowing who I am, Carrie, you'll appreciate this. I was out on a bike ride along the Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, my back in my pocket, my phone was blowing up. And I'm like, what is going on? I kept getting text messages, phone calls. So I finally pulled over, oceans to my right, and you know, I, I look at all my messages and it says, Congratulations, way to go. This is amazing. And this is my optometry colleague, so excited. That my one day um, was able to have FDA approval on that November day in 2019. And it really is moment, uh, really helps from the momentum of really helping make uh, myopia control, myopia management the standard of care um, for our pediatric children. I mean, for our pediatric population, for our children. Um, and when we look at my site, um, the unique thing about it is it fits just like any traditional soft contact lens. Um, But it's dual purpose. It helps correct the refractive error that that child has. Um, If little Johnny um, is 2060 or can't see very well and requires a minus two contact lens, um, well, then they're going to be able to help see clearly, Um, but they're also going to have the opportunity from a treatment effect to help slow the progression of myopia in these age-appropriate children. Um, it's unique in that it's doing that dual purpose, that dual um, opportunity to help correct vision, uh, but also slow down the rate of elongation or progression. Um, and you know, it has really opened up an avenue for so many uh, patients um, and so many pre- prescribers. As us as eye care physicians, um, we look at uh, at obstacles. And we want to make sure that we make it as easy as possible for patients um, to really benefit from, um, from the latest innovation, latest technology. And with our MySight One Day contact lens, um, with being able to have that high efficacy of slowing down the rate of progression, but also helping individuals see clearly that would still need some sort of glasses or contact lens pres- uh, prescription uh, in order to see clearly, um, we have this dual purpose effect. Uh, And, you know, with talking with my colleagues over these last years, um, I know yourself included, um, it really has um, opened up a whole new avenue of options to really hopefully help slow down that rate of progression and really affect thousands, millions of of children um, that are are in, in the world.
0: Everybody's sitting at home and they want to know, how does it work?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So a child doesn't have to do anything differently. As a parent, you don't have to do anything differently either. Um, By placing the contact lens on the eye, the child doesn't have to look out of it differently. Um, All they have to do is honestly is wear it. Um, When we look at the studies that showcase the the efficacy of the lens itself, um, if those those children in the study that showcase this 59% efficacy in an axial length, excuse me, me in refractive air, um, what we found is that these children wore the lens on average 10 hours a day, um, six days a week. Uh, And so for them, by wearing it and the unique technology of it is it's a dual focus lens. So what I mean by that is one aspect of the lens allows the individual to see clearly often the distance. And the other aspect of the lens um, allows the image or the light rays to actually um, land a little bit in front of the retina or the back of the eye, um, helping to slow down that elongation of the eye or the lengthening of that eye. Um, so that dual purpose, being able to see clearly, but also have that treatment effect. And it's simple. It's easy because all they have to do is wear it and that child is benefiting from uh, from my sight.
0: And in the periphery, Uh, Where does does the rays land? Does it land on the retina? Does it land behind the retina and the peripheral part of the lens?
1: Um, That is actually landing in front of the retina, in front of the retina. Yeah, so it's nice and clear. So the the center treatment zone allows you um, for for the rays to land right at the macula so that child sees clearly. Um, But the peripheral rays with the unique design uh, allows for the rays to land actually in front of the retina. And, and that actually is- kind of allows the kind of pulls the retina essentially towards um, those that light rays to focus and hopefully um, help prevent that child from their eyes from growing longer.
0: And this is a daily disposable, right? Isn't that amazing?
1: Exactly. So not only is it simple just to, to wear but it's simple from a, a modality standpoint as well that they, these these children put the contact lens in in, in the morning uh, and then they take it out and they and they throw it away when they're when they're done um, and you might be asking all right should children be wearing contact lenses uh, and you know Carrie I, I'm a big advocate of getting children in contact lenses and it's actually been shown that um, not only can they actually learn how to take a contact lens in and out very readily um, they They are compliant. They actually replace their contact lenses each and every single day. Um, They don't sleep in their contact lenses. Uh, And it's also, uh, it's been shown to be very safe as well for children to wear um, these MySight one-day contact lenses as well. Very safe and effective.
0: In my experience, children are able to take contact lenses in and out much better than adults.
1: I've seen that as well in certain times, absolutely. Especially ones that are motivated.
0: So as we're finishing up, we talked about Ortho-K, which were the gas permeable. We just talked about soft contact lenses, did both to decrease nearsightedness. Let's talk about the pharmaceutical management. If you could speak yeah. to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at, there's a pharmaceutical mechanism um, leveraging uh, what's called atropine. Um, atropine's uh, efficacy in slowing eye growth really is unclear um, like the mechanism of action for it. Um, but what we do know is that um, it definitely has uh, in a number of studies and in certain concentrations um, shown to decrease um, elongation, decrease progression, um, you know, relatively effectively as well. Um, so I'm, you know, as we look at this as an option, um, maybe individuals uh, aren't good candidates for, for my site, um, you know, which is the only FDA approved for myopia control. Um, you know, just like orthokeratology, which is not FDA-approved for myopia control, that is also um, leveraged what's considered off-label, um, but atropine, leveraging atropine is also considered off-label, but a, numbers have, a number of studies have showcased um, its efficacy in helping uh, prevent axial length elongation or myopia progression from getting worse, um, but also a safety profile, and essentially atropine in itself Um, is a medication that actually, um, with um, what you would see from if an individual took it, um, it would actually allow the eye's muscles, the accommodative muscles, to relax a little bit, and it would also allow the pupil to get a little larger. Although we don't know the exact mechanism of action, um, like we like I had mentioned previously, um, it can be a great option for many individuals that can't wear contact lenses as an option, um, or for maybe um, possibly leveraging in your case, Dr. Galba, I'm sure you've used it on, on uh, additional populations as well.
0: I wanted that. I want to thank Dr. Steve Brzezinski for joining me today. If people want to find out more about you or, or what's new at Cooper Vision. Give us something new, what you're doing with sustainability, which is really cool, in 20 seconds before we wrap up.
1: Yeah, no. So we love the opportunity um, to really be able to not only make a difference and help improve the way people see each day um, with with our products, with our technologies, um, but also we want to do what's right for the environment. Um, And so we've partnered with Plastic Bank, and they are a global partner um, that helps with the collection of ocean-bound plastic as a contact lens manufacturer, we produce a lot of plastic. And uh, that plastic then can go out into the environment. Well, what we want to do is not only do we want to help manufacture contact lenses in an environmentally friendly manner, um, we fortunately have LEED certification sites that are throughout our global manufacturing facilities. um, But we also have a net plastic neutral campaign. Um, So essentially, what is that? Um, We have the opportunity um, to work with Plastic Bank and for the equal amount of plastic that we produce, um, we purchase what are called plastic credits from Plastic Bank, and we purchase plastic credits to pull out the equal amount of weight out of the environment or what would have been ocean bound plastic. So, as a part of our Biofinity family, our MyDay family, our Clarity, and our MySight One Day family that we just spoke about, um, we partner with Plastic Bank to be able to offset that amount of plastic out of the environment. Um, we recognize that patients um, have strong sustainability values, and as a company, we do as well, and we want to be able to help support those um, with our Plastic Bank Net Plastic Neutral Initiative.
0: Well, Dr. Rosinski, thank you for joining me today. This is Dr. Kerry Gell for Open Your Eyes Radio on AM 1280, The Patriot. Great to see you, and thank you for your time.
2: MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
0: Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today.